Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. Another question, Prof. Can you talk to us a little bit about the international collaboration, Andronet, and how you think that research may benefit the causes of male infertility? Yeah, I mean, male infertility, we can explain probably 20% of all male infertility. We can actually say it's because of the genetic makeup of the man. It's because he has an absence of the vas deferens that he was born with. He has obstruction from some form of infection. There is a group we can find a cause for. There's something called Y microdeletions. And so that 20% is easy, but it's the other 80%. And we really don't understand why it is that male fertility has occurred in those, those men. The increasing evidence i'm still not totally convinced that environmental factors can influence has influenced the concentrations over the decades the, the plastics the pollution in the air generally probably is playing a part but no one's been able to pin it down exactly research has become more sophisticated genetics area where we can get down to the actual makeup of the tiny little genes the millions of them uh, body more and more we are finding linkages between what your father gave you in your genes and the next generation. When probably a decade ago, I would have said that 5% of men with very low sperm counts or no sperm had a, might be one of these microdilutions. It's now up to 15% because we've been able to find more and more of these errors in the chromosome. So as time goes on, that's going to happen. And, and groups like Andernet are the, are the guys who are pushing the barriers. Because the research raw male infertility is actually relatively poor. People aren't particularly interested in it. Well, over the years, they haven't been particularly interested in it. If you go to something called PubMed, which collects all the publications of all the journals in the world, and you go to, if you put in male fertility, Someone's done this study recently. And, and I think there was a ratio of about 60 to 1 of studies about female fertility and studies about male fertility. It's not totally surprising. We understand a lot more about the female than the male. And that translates into treatment. If you, you know, if there's nothing much research-wise goes on to find a cause, then there's not much work you can do to find treatments. I think it's positive that the groups are getting together. In Australia, we, we are 
unique in the world and that the government has actually, the federal government has put money into male fertility research. We are the only country in the world where that, where that money has been given. Where Andrology Australia, Australia has made such a good case to parliamentarians who are all males and usually have children, so they're not very interested. But he's been able to, Professor Glock is the prime mover, and they've been able to convince government that we need to put money in. And there's a huge observational study going on at the moment to establish as much as possible the incidence of the infertility and taking samples that will help towards this research, which may lead to understanding more about it. Prof, do technology-assisted pregnancies increase the risk of preeclampsia? There's a debate about that. Overall, there probably is an increased risk of preeclampsia, but there are a lot of confounding issues. Uh, many women who are infertile are also overweight. Women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, even if they conceive outside of IVF, have a higher incidence of preeclampsia and diabetes in pregnancy. So it may be the underlying cause of the infertility that causes the increase in the preeclampsia, not the IVF itself. There is some evidence, however, that in frozen embryo transfer cycles, using hormone replacement therapy as the controlling element, there is a slight increase in preeclampsia. And certainly the Europeans have got on the bandwagon and are really moving away from using the HRT approach and using either natural cycles or cycles where they use small doses of drugs to stimulate ovulation. So, yeah, I think there's a little bit of data there. Personal experience has not indicated that that's a big deal. It's not that it's, you know, women in their first pregnancy have a 10% chance of getting preeclampsia. So infertile patients are going to fall mainly in that group. In IVF pregnancies with this hormone replacement, frozen embryos, maybe it's, it goes up to you know, 12 or 15%. But certainly, no, it's not as if it's if this, then that. So it's, you know, it's, I don't think it's a major issue. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.